Tim and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. Well, good morning, fellas. Morning. It's a, it's a Saturday in the fall. <laughs> I don't know how uh, noticeable it was in the recording because I haven't listened to last week's yet. But I know that last week as we were recording, we were we were hammered with connection problems. So hopefully we won't have that issue this week. I tried Skype my is, best. Yeah, Skype has decided to not upgrade our experience. So hopefully this one will be better. <laughs> we can hope. We can hope. Aaron's not in the middle of a monsoon this time. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, that was a that was a that was a rough connection last week. But uh, but you know we we persevered and we're we're ready to to, to make good this week. Yeah, you know? Aaron's, Aaron we, survived the gully washer. He's okay. That's right. So you know we're we're all allied. Uh, we're we're all we're, we're all you know focused on this mission we call podcast. Right. Yes, as always. Yep. Uh, uh, I mean, well, I don't know about the as always, but definitely today. Yeah. Usually we dick around for about 47 minutes before the podcast. We only did it for about eight this today. Well, you know, you know, we are focused, laser focused on. And like maybe, maybe, Kong. maybe we're motivated by the fact that one of us, one among us has a new enemy. And so when, when one of us is threatened, we unify and come together. Like, like Voltron, only sad white men. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul. <laughs> Just like Speaking of sad white men, that, that that's the start of my story, actually. <laughs> it's a comic book store story. Spoiler. It's it's surprisingly it's a Toys R Us story. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh. So uh, yesterday, we're recording this on Saturday, uh, the, the 1st of October. Uh, and Friday, September 30th, was Rogue Friday. There, you know, like last year, there was Force Friday, the release of the first wave of Star Trek Force Awakens stuff. This year, it was the release of the first wave of uh, Star Trek Rogue One uh, merchandise. And the only place doing midnight specials was um, Toys R Us. So, like I said, speaking of sad white men, me and about, you know, 50 other sad white men were in Toys R Us parking lot, uh, you know, around 10 o'clock Thursday night for the midnight release. And, you know, on the email, it says, hey, midnight release, you get a free T-shirt, you get a free poster, and you get to meet Jeffrey and uh, Jeffrey the Giraffe. Oh, the, the- Okay, thank you. I was like, just some random new dude named Jeffrey. It's the, it's, it's the Virginia clown named Jeffrey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Virginia Jeffrey, the peanut. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I was I was I was ready to meet Jeffrey. And so the lady came out, and she took the one of the ladies in Toys R Us came out, and she took pictures for the Instagram page, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, hey, uh, when do we get to meet Jeffrey? And she's like, oh. Uh, we don't have Jeffrey at this location. And I'm like, what? Did you start knocking stuff off the shelves? God damn it. <laughs> I mean, just close enough. I mean, I was like, are you serious? And she's like, well, no one wanted to put on the costume. I'm like, I will put on the costume. <laughs> I said, I will put on the costume. Is that allowed? I'll put on the costume. <laughs> and uh, she's like, no, no, it's really hot and sweaty inside there. I'm like, I'm familiar. I'll put on the costume. You know, with my experience in in furriness. <laughs> and um, she's like, ah, uh, she's like, let me see what I can do. So I think they actually called someone in <laughs> at 10 o'clock on a Thursday night. You know, I can imagine this guy's like doing cocaine off of a hooker's ass. And right, they call yeah. him and they're like, hey, uh, they're requesting you. We need you in the suit. We need you in the suit. <laughs> 
you see a giraffe at like a like a, a beer, you know, at a frat party or something, like, oh hell, that's my pager. <laughs> yeah, he's the it's, one guy in the world with, with still has a pager. <laughs> it's time to put on the suit, the last suit you'll ever wear. Exactly. And so, um, so around eleven thirty, the lady comes out. She's like, because you guys requested it. And then Jeffrey comes out of the door and, you know, I, and so, you know, of course everyone goes nuts, but you know, a couple of observations about Jeffrey, I didn't notice any eye holes in the costume and someone was walking him the entire time. So I don't know that Jeffrey can see first of all. And uh, second of all, if you could feel the raw hatred coming from the human <laughs> inside of the Jeffrey costume. It, it was palpable. This, uh, this, this, I mean, everyone's like, hi, Jeffrey. And he just kind of, you know, like throws up an arm like, hey, like, let's get this over with. You know, <laughs> I don't think they were prepared for the level of ferologist that was there to uh, determine all these problems, Paul. But we're glad you were on the scene. Yeah. So I, I have to ask this question, Paul. Yes. What's your attraction to Jeffrey? I don't know. Yeah, I was about to ask why you cared. I mean, it was just on. I, I I didn't genuinely care. I just you know made a scene for the sake of making a scene. <laughs> you know, I knew that was the answer. I just needed you to say. <laughs> Look, the dude's on the flyer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the flyer says Jeffrey. Jeffrey. I expect Jeffrey. I was promised Jeffrey, and God damn it, I'm getting a Jeffrey. These nerds are about to drop four thousand dollars on your crappy plastic toys. Get a clown in a in a fucking giraffe costume right now. Let's go. Yeah, never underestimate <laughs> the power of Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, don't you know who he is? He's Paula Ponte from the internet. You get him a giraffe. Yeah, you get me my giraffe. You get the worst Yelp review a Toys R Us ever received at three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 uh, I got my Jeffrey and, and and not only did I get my Jeffrey, I'm sure Jeffrey is now my mortal enemy. Well, I'm sure. You know, and and you know, he'll cut you. So yeah. you gotta you gotta be careful of Jeffrey. So all we gotta do is plant a giraffe head next to your body next time well, we go to Ancon and we're all off the hook. He leads a gang of uh you know, of broken and forgotten toys. Yeah. And they'll oh, get no. you. You know. It, Teddy, Teddy Ruxpin's going to be standing over you in the middle of the night. <laughs> Reading me a bedtime story. <laughs> no, he's got an army of former mascots that aren't still around, like Billy Bob from Showbiz. And uh -huh. Minoid uh -huh. from uh, Domino's. <laughs> yeah, Minoid. <laughs> so, I mean, I was so that, that, that that's a long and short of my story. I got to meet a celebrity uh, in, in Jeffrey Thursday evening. <laughs> Um, and, and it's all on the YouTube channel. You can see it there. Uh, <laughs> and, and including your freak out, including your freak out that you that they they didn't have uh, Jeffrey for you. I edited that piece out because I didn't want to come oh. across like a dick. <laughs> huh? You get the most comments when you're a dick on your videos. So this far. is true. That's right. This is true. Well, I mean, you know, maybe that 50 year old virgin will uh, someday get laid. <laughs> yeah, so. maybe if he pays for it. <laughs> So, speaking of enemies, <laughs> did you guys read the article on Newsarama about convention autographs this week? I did not. No. No, I don't read articles on Newsarama unless somebody sends me a link and says this is required reading for the podcast. Oh, well, we don't need to do that. We'll just tell you what's in it. 
Oh, I love this part. It's Paul. Paul reads us the news. Yeah. Yeah. It's Paul tells us things. Yeah. <laughs> so they have, you know, Aaron and I, you know, we, we have come to, um, we, we've hit a couple of conventions together and, uh, you know, met a, a, a number of celebrities, including Stephen Amell and the cast of Deep Space Nine, stuff like I, that. I'd like to point out, I am a now a close personal friend of both Renee Aubergenois and Armin Shimmerman. Do they follow you on Twitter? Oh, you know, I'm just saying that uh, we're we're to- we're toit. toit, we're toit, toit. <laughs> well, if you if you get Armin Shimmerman to sing for my birthday party, Aaron, you are the you're the best uncle ever. <laughs> Done. I'm going to say Done. the best creepy <laughs> uncle ever. <laughs> so I was reading this article on Newsarama where it basically says that actors like Norman Reedus and Stephen Amell typically get about at minimum, about $100,000 for each convention they go to. Is that inclusive of the autograph fees? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's what the the uh, promoters pay them to get out there or if that's what the promoters pay them to get out there plus what they make in, you know, in autograph fees and, and things well, like and I, that. And I wonder if they're bundling in their first class travel and all that kind of stuff to that as well. But, wow, that's a whole lot of money. I mean, now, uh, how much how much does Lou Ferrigno get? Well, and so that's they they didn't interview Lou Ferrigno, but they interviewed Jewel State from Firefly. Yeah. And she says, you know, when she guest stars on a TV show, she gets about ten thousand dollars, you know, for a guest star appearance. Yeah. She says she makes more than that off of a convention appearance uh, with only two to three me. days of sitting in a chair and signing stuff. Luke Fregno gets a free diet soda. <laughs> <laughs> and a stool. He gets that stool to sit on. He brings it with him, though. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like... You know, that does not surprise me. As as big as uh, the those pop culture shows are right now, you know, in terms of, of conventions, uh, that doesn't surprise me at all that someone like Jewel State's making more money doing that than she is on a, on a guest shot. It just blows my mind that... Norman Reedus, Stephen Amell. I mean, and these guys are are not, you know, big time like, uh, you know, like some of the Marvel guys that do uh, appearances. But, you know, they're TV guys. $100,000, you know, pro- in, in 20s probably that they, they walk home with. Yeah. I mean, that's that's crazy to me. And, you know, that's the reason that our freaking, uh, our, our, you know, an autograph for one of those guys is like 85 bucks or some shit. You know, I the we've talked about my, my gripe about you know, the fees on autographs. I, I wish they'd bake that in overall to the ticket price because it just seems unseemly to pay for an autograph. I don't mind paying for the picture nearly as much as I mind paying for the autograph. Yeah. Of course, I'm also not an autograph guy. I could really care less if I have something signed unless it's a piece of art, a piece of original artwork. And then obviously I'd want that signed. Yeah. But, uh, I, it, you know, I, I think that's great, but I, I would think that uh, Stephen Amell and Norman Reedus probably skew to the high end. I'd be really curious to know what what, uh, you know, some of those guys make. Like, you remember when when you and I were at uh, Mission New York, you had the whole scale of what it would cost to get your picture taken with a celebrity. And on the high end, it was like $85 for an individual picture. Yeah. And on the low end, it was $35 for Robin Curtis, who was the lowest person there. And Robin Curtis played the Savick. The lowest person. Yeah. I mean, she, was, she was the lowest cost picture on, on, the, on the sheet. And you know she played uh, Savick in Star Trek Three, and she uh, also had a, a guest shot on Next Generation. But, you know, I, I that was a little... 
I, I felt bad for Robin Curtis when I saw that because it's just out there. People care about you the least. People value you the least. That just seemed rude. <laughs> you know, it just seemed rude. Sure, she's crying into the 20 grand she made for coming there. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, a, I mean, it's it's a very lucrative business is what I'm saying. And um I just, I, I guess I'm just surprised that they make that level of money. Um, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be, but wow. I mean, well, it's but, not you know, going to go I, down either. It would be nice to see the scale of it in terms of what it is now versus what it was five, ten years ago. Because, you know, these pop culture conventions have just gotten huge over the last ten years. And, and you know, for those of us on the podcast who have been in the hobby for, you know, decades – you know, we've seen this huge shift that, you know, it's not just a San Diego Comic-Con. It's, you know, the, you know, wizard, it's the the fan expos, it's the, the local conventions or whatever that are selling out in standing room only. Yeah, exactly. You know, speaking of um, Awesome Con, which is my, uh, the convention up in D.C. that I've been yeah. to a couple of times, they started announcing guests for their 2017 convention. They, they've only announced six guests, and the first two that they announced already had me hooked. Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo are going to be there. Oh, wow. And I'm like, nice. finally. You know, they, they See, never come around here. Save up your money for a sketch, man. He doesn't yeah, do I've, sketches. He only does. He doesn't. He refuses. He, j- he just does a print, and he signs the print, but he does not do sketches. Really? Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, I had a chance to see him in a Wizard World. Capullo. Snyder's never been to St. Louis, as far as I know. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Also, uh, you know, they've they've got some voices. They've got Nolan North, who's the voice of uh, Nathan Drake in Uncharted. And um, they also have the guy who's the voice. Oh, David Hayter, the voice of Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid. Less excited (laughs) about those, but those are still pretty cool. But I'm definitely going for Snyder and Capullo. Now, you sure that it's Snyder and not Schneider? Scott Schneider. (laughs) Like uh, like the Gucci bag with the one C? Well, I was thinking about Schneider, you know, and all of his keys from, you know, one day at a time. Yeah, you know, the building superintendent. So oh you know, maybe that's maybe that's who's coming. It might be. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so, like, can you get your, like, voicemail to the Nathan Drake guy sound? Is that what he does for his 80 bucks or whatever? He might. He might. I know. I, say, uh, I don't know why you want a picture of a voice actor. It's like I got to eh. tell you, I think I. I think if, if you're one of those got one of those celebrities at a convention offering to do somebody's outgoing message or even their ringtone or something, that is where you'd make some some bank, right? Yeah, you know, a little, just a little customized one take. You know, hey, you've reached Aaron. This is you know whoever. Uh, I, I that would that would be a, a way to make some cash. Oh, yeah, who's the guy that does the voice of Batman on, on everything? Oh, Kevin Conroy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there it is. Yeah. My wife actually has a recording from a anime character. It was uh, a friend of ours was at an anime convention and just uh, basically in the hall stumbled across the voice actress that does one of her favorite characters and got the uh, actress to record a message for her in That's character. Cool. That was really cool. cool. You know, and so, so these guys are are already commanding a pretty penny. For their autographs, but we we have the next generation of convention, you know, appearances starting up with uh, new TV shows coming on. That was a, a real stretch of a transition there. It really was. I was like, where's he going with this? Yeah, oh, I, I, I lost it about halfway through. 
I, I dropped the pin on the map. I know where you're going now. Yeah. So, so new TV shows, fall TV shows have started up. Uh, I'm excited for Westworld, which starts tomorrow. We'll, oh, we'll have started by the time you listen to this podcast. That looks so hot. West what World is it? Looks- Westworld. No, I mean, what is it? Oh, I have. So it's based it on about? a book by Michael Crichton, the guy who did um, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. It, it, but he wrote it before Jurassic Park. But it's basically the same story uh, about um, a uh, an amusement park with animatronic cowboys that become sentient. And yes, uh, it's, it's it's robot, you know, cowboys. And, and Westworld is one of the amusement park worlds. There's like uh, Rome world yeah. and you know, all these different you know, periods in history. Uh, it was, it, it was made into a movie back in the seventies with Yul Brynner, which wasn't bad actually. I love that movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Um, and, and they're, they're turning it into a mini series and with, uh, uh, Hannibal Lecter. Uh, yeah. Anthony Hopkins. Thank you. Um, produced by JJ Abrams, um, written by Jonathan Nolan, uh, it's yep. got a hell of a cast. It's got yeah, it looks you know, super hot. Great pedigree. I need to set this to record. Yeah, HBO yeah. T- uh, Sunday night. Oh, never mind. I don't have HBO. Steal it. I mean, um, <laughs> Paul. What? Shame on you. I don't mean torrent it. I just mean get uh, someone's HBO Go password. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's ethical. <laughs> <laughs> but already started, um, and on their second episodes are Lethal Weapon and The Exorcist on Fox. And I got to say, you know, Fox is doing a lot of remakes in their TV shows this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I thought I'd give Lethal Weapon a shot, and I thought I'd give Exorcist a shot. We're now two episodes in. I've only seen the first of Exorcist, but I've seen both Lethal Weapons. I've only seen the first of both of them. So, um, Did what, the main star of Lethal Weapon go into a anti-Jew tirade? Uh, not yet. Not yet. But no anti-Semitism yet. No yeah. anti-Semitism yet. But it's early in the show. Wait for it. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not a huge Lethal Weapon fan in terms of the movies. Uh, you know, I've seen them, but it's it's not you – know, anytime a sequel was coming out, I was never like, oh, fuck, i got to see this. It was just, you know, I caught it on cable. Well, there's only one um, Lethal Weapon film anyway, really. I mean – or two, I should say. I got to tell you, I loved the pilot. I did too. I thought I thought the, the guy playing Riggs was uh, super charming had a great sense of comic timing. I loved uh, Damon Wayans. Yeah, right? who I normally don't like, but he's good yeah. in this series. He was great as Martog. Uh, I, I I enjoyed the hell out of that show. I was like, I'll watch another episode of this. It was I was afraid that it was either going to be A, ridiculous, or B, just a straight-up procedural. Mm-hmm. And it was neither of those things. Um, and with Aaron, Damon Wayans in it, I would have expected ridiculous. Well, he, he plays the straight man. Yeah, it's really amazing because I've ne- I've never seen him in that role. Yeah, he he is very reserved in his performance, and you know he's when he's not being just a loon, uh, he's quite charming. In fact, they both are, and they've got some fantastic chemistry. Uh, I, I I was I was I was I have been as I'm watching uh, shows this fall. I'm I'm not giving it a full episode. I'm if it doesn't catch me in the first fifteen minutes, I'm done because I don't have time. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I have already deleted a couple of shows off my DVR. Uh, but I mean, I, I was in Lethal Weapon. I was like, this is pretty damn good. And, you know, they they cover his uh, uh, Riggs's tragic past really effectively. They don't beat Better you than the, the movie, head, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I'm, I'm down. I, I thought that was a, that was a superb pilot. Uh, and I'm eager to watch the next episode. So I will tell you, Aaron, the second episode is actually better than the first. Really? Yeah. Really? I. I I, I dug it. I dug it. So, yeah, I'm down. 
And Tim, it has uh, Dom's sister from Fast and the Furious. Jordana Brewster? Jordana Brewster's in it. She's the uh, the police psychiatrist. Yeah, I'm not a real big Jordana Brewster fan. What? <laughs> no. I'm a Jordana lame. Brewster fan. <laughs> She's like the worst part of those movies. Well, I can't, yeah, I can't disagree with that, but she's pretty to look at. (laughs) But it's a good series. Lethal Weapon is definitely a fun watch. Tim, it's probably something up your alley, too. Um, Yeah. But definitely worth watching. And, uh, you know, the first episode of The Exorcist, I didn't think was bad either. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed the first episode of The Exorcist. Now, I I happen to love the original movie. Mm -hmm. I happen to love the novel by William Peter Blatty. Um uh, it, it I, I I am all about the the devil books and devil stories. Yeah. And uh, what one of the things I found really interesting is that the the novel is based off of a real world exorcism. Uh, yep. Perform- right here in St. Louis. Yeah. Performed. Uh, I want to say back in the '60s, and they use a number of elements. It's still not in St. Louis, but they use a number of elements for one of the backstory uh, uh, exorcisms. And I just, I I was really taken at the high production value. Uh, The location shooting was, was kind of amazing for a television show. Um, The, you know, there are some things that are predictable about it, uh, but I thought that the groundwork was, was laid nicely and the scene that happens up in the attic uh, yeah. freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, good. It was a good end to the first episode. Like I said, I yeah. haven't seen the second episode, yeah. but you know, I I was surprised because I thought it was going to be a remake of the movie, and it doesn't seem to be. It seems to be more of a spiritual successor than yeah. anything else. I mean, you know, similar concepts, but uh, I, I I enjoyed the first episode uh, yeah. quite a bit, and I'm I haven't seen the second. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, no, same here. I, I thought it was really well done. But my only concern about it is I don't see how this show lasts longer than a season, which I'm fine with. But, I, I, you know, that's not the way American television works. If it's successful, there'll be a second season. I just don't know how you do that, because, you know, if he I don't know, you you lose the 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 creepiness of it if demonic possession is pervasive like it is in supernatural or even an outcast. Yeah. You know, I I think an exercise, the, a a demonic possession is most intense when it's kind of viewed as a rare thing. And uh, so I don't know, I don't know how they perform at the same level in an ongoing series. Maybe they'll go with the Buffy, the vampire slayer route and introduce other things other than the main, like instead of just possessions, other things happen too. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But then, you, but then I think you've lost me. You know, I mean, yeah, you, you yeah, either no, do I, different I, stories or something. If it that kind of thing, that, yeah. then then that's the only recipe that will really work for me. I think. And and really, I could see it more as an being more of an anthology piece because uh, I think it's it would be a lot more interesting to see other exorcists versus this one guy who's doing a bazillion exorcisms but you know this does have the have the look of being a a a a season-long arc Mm -hmm. where you know the demon won't actually be purged until the end of the season which you know is is more in keeping with what the novel did so and and the the original film but uh anyway i liked it i big thumbs up i thought it was super creepy i think you know i i just hope that it's able to hold that level of intensity and paul you and i have not talked about it 
But are you still watching Outcast, or did you finish the season? I did not finish the season. Um, it's yeah. not that I not for lack of. Uh, I just. It's not that I didn't want to watch it. I just it dropped off the radar for me. Yeah, my problem with it is that I started to get bored. And you that's, know, you know, that's a, they were they were stringing some stuff out, and I I think I'm I think I'm more than halfway through the season. I just there's this this moment where I'm like, eh, maybe when I'm sick one day. Yeah, I got four episodes <laughs> you know. in, and it's the problem with it is it's just deliberately paced um i shouldn't say deliberate it's slow it's a slow slow burn um and i just you know it it kills my motivation to watch it on a weekly basis when it's that slow yeah no i'm I'm right there with you i've still got it on my dvr but you know i just i I i've kind of lost my motivation to watch it okay good concept just it it, it needed to needed to pick up the pace a little bit absolutely so, uh, also premiering this week on Netflix was Luke Cage. First season of Luke Cage dropped on September 30th. I have not had a chance to see any of it. But, Aaron, you saw the first episode? Yeah, I watched the first episode last night. Let me just go ahead and say right now, I will not spoil anything. Because uh, the the rest of my co-hosts have not seen it. And, uh, you know, it's early enough in that most of our listeners probably haven't, uh, you know, tuned into it. But... Um, I will I will just kind of give you a first impression. And I uh, one of the things that I was really excited about is I heard a number of pre reviews where people said, oh, my God, it's every bit as good as Daredevil and Jessica Jones. And let me tell you, the people who are telling you that are lying to you. Oh, Uh, yeah. the, The the first episode is as boring and poorly written as it can possibly be. Um, I thought the the dialogue was infuriating. Um, the, the, I will say that the last five minutes of the show are pretty good. Uh, but the bulk of the show is just almost terrible. Um, I, I, and I love, uh, the guy that plays Luke Cage and I love a lot of the actors in the show. They've got a, they've got just a fantastic cast of actors, you know, familiar faces that you're going to recognize such as Alfre Woodard, um, and I, I I love all these actors, and I'm just was very frustrated that it was not nearly as well written as Jessica Jones or Daredevil, and I don't know what happened there. So my hope here, because I've heard I've heard uh, positive reviews uh, from other folks who have gotten screeners, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that they're not just shining on the fact that hey Marvel gave me a screener, so I'll give them a positive review. What I'm hopeful of is that it picks up. That it that it's stronger because, like I said, the last few minutes of, of 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 episode one were really good. I started watching episode two, but I've not finished it yet. Um, I, I'm really hoping that it that it that it picks up and and does a better job because I love these characters, I, I love these series, and it would just be a shame if they didn't turn out the same level of quality for Luke Cage that they did for Jessica Jones and Daredevil. Hmm. That's uh, that's not positive news, Aaron. It was. I got to tell you, I was profoundly displeased. I, it was it was it was rough and it was rough in the first few minutes. You're just kind of going, what, <laughs> you know, and it's not because you don't understand what's going on. It's because the what what is being written is not nearly as sharp as things that were written for the other shows. Hmm. There is not nearly, you know, they, they're, they're really trying to do, you know, kind of a a black exploitation 70s era vibe to it. You know, in in the way that the music is done, the way that it's set, um, and and I appreciate that. I I like that style, and I think that's appropriate to Luke Cage. But the writing just isn't there, in my opinion. Well, that's a shame. 
it is. Is it set in it is set in modern day? It's after Jessica Jones, right? Yeah, yeah. It picks up right after okay. Jessica Jones, and they referenced that Jessica was Jones. more. Okay, that was one of the questions some of my friends have been asking me is, where is this set? Is it after Jessica Jones or is it a prequel? Or do I have to watch Jessica Jones? That's another question I got. Yeah, you don't have to watch Jessica Jones from what I can see. I mean, I'm only one episode in. He does reference a few things, but it's not key. Mm, You know? That's good. Uh, But there is is a really interesting action sequence at the end of the episode, and that's where the show picked up. Okay. So – all right. Well, I'll yeah. check it out and I'll uh, I'll report back next week. Yep. So sorry, sorry to harsh your mellow, guys. Well, speaking of harshing my mellow. Uh oh. Wayne's buying some Marvel books, and I don't know why. Yeah. What the What the fuck? You know, I I. But Wayne, I I think you have to understand the impact you have on the world. And I am out there. I am out there. You know, I'm hardest working man in show business, right? And I am slaving just so that I can create a good home for you, my fellow podcast hosts. And I get your pull list this week. And what's on there but Civil War two books. And so the world asks, Wayne, what the fuck? Now, the Civil War part of it is, yeah, annoying and frustrating because I'm sick of crossovers going through books. But there are still some Marvel books that are really good that I'm enjoying. Spider-Woman is one of the best books out there because it is something we've never seen before. A superhero mother dealing with, you know, being a superhero and having a baby at home. It has been an incredibly well-written book. And now it's, you know, it's one of those things is partially completionism. It's like, yeah, I don't want the Civil War crossover. That that annoys me, drives me crazy. I don't care about Civil War. But I also don't want to have a missing issue in the run. And the same thing for Thunderbolts. I've really enjoyed Thunderbolts. It's been an interesting book. But I don't want to miss an issue of the run during Civil War. I feel, all I have so I'm I feel, dealing with the crossovers. I feel deeply betrayed. Mm. <laughs> so so okay, who else is buying Marvel good books? And, I, 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 I'm not buying any regular Marvel titles. In fact, uh, what about Vision, I was, Aaron? I, you know, I, I haven't read the last two issues that I have in my, uh, inbox or in my folder. Uh, so I've not bought any current vision. I don't, it's not that I dislike it. It's just, if, if I get two issues behind, uh, I wait until I get caught up before I buy the rest of them. And that's the same place that I'm at with star Wars. Yeah. And they're both yeah, good I books. I just, thing. I, I just, uh, I've not picked up. I haven't bought anything Marvel that wasn't on sale. Like, for instance, this week they had a Luke Cage uh, sale on Comixology, and I bought the ass out of that. Uh, they had the you know the uh, the big Volume One collection of the original '70s run of Luke Cage, plus they had the the essentials uh, of Iron Man, Power Man, and Iron Fist. You know, from the John Byrne run back in the early '80s. Uh, I, I bought both of those this week. See, oh, I am still buying. I'm still Vertigo, buying Vertigo had a great sale this week uh, on their entire line of books, so I picked up a couple of Northlanders there as well. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, Wayne. Yep, and I am still buying Silk, Spider Woman, Vision, and Thunderbolts. And then occasionally there'll be a Spider Man miniseries that has nothing to do with the main title. Sometimes there are purely electronic ones like uh, Spider Man and Silk. I picked that up too. Hmm. Well, hmm. you know, Wayne, we would drop you from this call if it wasn't for the fact that you named your dog crypto yeah that's your only redeeming trait right now 
so I adopted this dog. I've had him a little over a week now. And his original name was Achilles. But my wife couldn't pronounce that. So it was time to rename him. And to be honest, he didn't uh, answer to the name anyway. So it's like, well, what am I going to name my dog? I'm going to name my dog Crypto. He is a Beagle Lab mix. And I bought the the cape for him last weekend. You'll have to uh, send us a picture, Wayne, so we can put it in the show notes. There is one in the Skype chat. Very good. Well, congratulations, Wayne. I think that's awesome. You know, is this your new dog wearing the uh, Spider-Man uh, sweatshirt? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that is me. I did buy a pug mask. God damn it. And the mouth moves when my mouth moves because it wraps around like the jaw. <laughs> so I've been recording like videos saying things in it and taking selfies. And... You want to be the new Chewbacca mom is what I'm saying. <laughs> <sighs> Well, I, I think the dog picture is cute. The one with the cape. <laughs> Not the one wearing the Spider-Man uh, sweatshirt? That's just so creepy. <laughs> like, it's perfect for Halloween. Yeah, it's not even a little creepy. It's a lot creepy. <laughs> yeah, it, it is kind of serial killer. You know, I'm about to, to choke you out, sort of, uh, you know. <sighs> oh, wait. Yeah, it's like a North Carolina clown. That's uh, that's what it looks like. <laughs> oh, not not one of those Virginia Beach Virginia clowns. clowns. Those are highbrow. <laughs> well, I'm I'm referencing. You know, there's actually a thing. Like yes, yeah, that's a thing. They're they're here too. Oh really? There's been uh, multiple clown reports around uh, a couple of cities here, and there was an arrest the other day of someone trying to break into someone's house wearing the clown mask and with a gun. Oh okay. I mean, is it like so, a regular? Yeah. I mean, here's my thing. I know there's like this evil clown epidemic, but other than that guy, are any of them actually doing anything or are they just standing around being creepy? Yeah, the first one I heard that was actually doing something and not just standing around being creepy was the one that tried to break into someone's house. All the others seem to be just standing around being creepy. Mm. I mean, that's what we do on a daily basis. (laughs) Well, as evidenced by this picture of Wayne in the pug mask. Yeah, Wayne, uh, be careful. Yeah. 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 Wayne's going to break into your house before too long. <laughs> I am all already. about being creepy. Yeah, I am all about being creepy. <laughs> we, we, we know, Wayne. We know. <sighs> so, Paul, I do have a question for you. Yes. You know, uh, today is uh, October 1st. Yes, sir. Right? And so we are, we are now deep, deep into your favorite time of year, Halloween. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so how much Halloween shit have you bought so far? Not much, honestly. Um, you know, th- this year I've been doing a decent amount of travel. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I, I I don't think you can call it a decent amount of travel. An excessive amount seems- of travel. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so, you know, there's not really mu- a lot of money left behind for, for purchasing uh, random shit. Uh, so mm-hmm. I haven't picked up that much Halloween. I mean, I still got a decent amount of Halloween stuff from previous years that I can use to decorate the house. But. Well, if you want to invest in a little creepy clown makeup, you could just steal the stuff that you want. Oh, exactly. <laughs> but I need a cl- I need the clown makeup first to steal the stuff. <laughs> Chicken or egg? Uh, yeah, fair point. Fair point. Oh, you know, if if only for a little bit of savings, you could start your criminal empire. Soon enough. Soon enough. You could be a member of the Jokers. <laughs> <laughs> Paul can't save money. Either he spends it or we do. 
Fair point. Yeah. Well, Fair since point. we're talking about jokers and clowns, we're going to switch our next books, and we're, we'll talk about Batman Beyond Rebirth 1 first. Because the jokers are back, and so is Terry McGinnis in the pages of Batman Beyond Rebirth. Um, you know, there was a vo- an entire volume right before this, uh, during the New 52, that I pretty much skipped out on. So they reference it a lot, like, oh, Terry McGinnis, back from the dead. Terry McGinnis, back from the dead. I'm like, Terry McGinnis died? Um, so I didn't know any of that stuff. But uh, the new well, book... Didn't, we had uh, we had one of the Robins being... Uh, yeah, Tim Drake. Yeah. Was uh, was Terry McGinnis. But, and I knew that, I just... Well, he was Batman Beyond. He wasn't Terry McGinnis. Oh, sorry, yeah. I got you put your head out of your ass, Paul. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I read a little bit of that and it started off strong. But, you know, uh, it was part of that whole uh, Future's End yeah. storyline. And it just kind of spooled out, you know, and was terrible at that point. But I think there were some good nuggets there. But it's nice to I, I, what I like about this book, you know, because Terry McGinnis is back, uh, is that he's kind of grown up. He's not, you know, teenager. He's not, you know, he doesn't even, he's not even a college student. I mean, he seems like a Batman. Yeah, he's definitely older in this book than we have previously, you know, than the Terry McGinnis we're previously familiar with. Um, you know, books written by Dan Jurgens, art by Ryan Souk. Um, you know, they, they reference that Bruce Wayne is is no longer there either. And I, I'm assuming he's dead. I just don't know. Yeah, I didn't read enough of the Future's End book to know how that, how that uh, you know, wound out. Yeah. But this is definitely a rebirth book, so it's it's very much a zero issue kind of setting up the status quo of this Batman Beyond book. Um, I was excited because it was written by Dan Jurgens. Uh huh. Um, what did you think of Batman Beyond Rebirth? I loved it. I thought this was a great book. I I, I dug. Uh, I, I like where Terry McGinnis is in this. I lo- I love the artwork. The artwork was fantastic. Uh, you know, it really does give you that feeling of you're in a far future Gotham. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that the, you know, I generally get annoyed with the Jokers, um, but I thought they were well used here. And I loved the last page. No spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. Uh, but uh, it, yeah. I was surprised at the last page. Yeah. Uh, my only question is, 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 is this the creative team for the ongoing series? I don't know, but I, I think it is. Uh, I hope so, because I loved I loved what they did here. Yeah, I really enjoyed this book. Um, I don't know that I that I loved it as much as you, but I certainly did enjoy uh-huh. it. Um, you know, the art was good, the story was good. I'm I'm curious as to some of the mysteries that it's setting mm-hmm. up. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where the story goes. I'm definitely picking up the you know the first regular issue. Yeah, uh, you know the uh, the main cover for the book I thought was was nice, but this is one of the first rebirth books that I've seen where I did not care for the variant cover. Oh, yeah, the variant cover's rough. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to figure out who drew it. But, boy, I sure I sure did not care for the variant cover. It uh, has this hyper-stylized Batman, you know, standing on the uh, DC logo, and he just, God, he looks like a monster. You know, yeah. I just, I, boy, I hate it. I hate it a lot. Uh, you know, one of the things that I'd love to see more of in this book, and I think they hint at it, um, you know, he, he, he's comments on how Bruce isn't in his ear anymore. And so he's having to do some of this stuff on his own. And I would like to see him be, you know, 
adopt some of the detective qualities and some of the you know hyper preparedness that Bruce had. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see how you know somebody tries to achieve Bruceness uh, on their own. I think that would be a really interesting story as as he realizes, you know, he doesn't have somebody who's always thinking two steps ahead. So now he's got to think two steps ahead. And how do you do that? How do you train yourself to do that? And one of the things I like about Terry McGinnis is that it's very easy to make ter- to just basically write Dick Grayson in the future. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't feel like Dick Grayson to me. He does feel like his own individual character. And, you know, he's got the younger brother and, you know, different status quo. So I'm enjoying this different take. Um, and it, I, I've always loved Batman Beyond. I loved the cartoon. Uh, you know, the comics have been hit or miss. There's been some great stuff. There's been some not so great stuff. But this definitely had a strong start. Yeah, no, I agree. So I'm on board for issue one next month. Ditto. Ditto. I, I thought th- I thought this was a, a nice first effort. And uh, among some of the strongest uh, rebirth books in terms of that, that first zero issue kind of experience, um, I didn't feel like we were retreading too much, uh, even though it was it's giving you that backstory. You know, they explain to you who Terry McGinnis is. They show you, you know, where he where he is currently in that timeline. Uh, I dug it. I thought it was well done. Yeah, the, I enjoyed the re, you know revisiting the uh, the origin a bit. Yeah, but you skipped out on Teen Titans Rebirth number one. Yeah, fuck that. I you know <laughs> I, I looked at the, I looked at the artwork for that and it it just seemed a little too anime influenced uh, for my liking. It reminded me a little bit too much of the uh, recent Teen Titans versus Justice League movie, and so no, thank you. I will be happy to hear your review though. See, I didn't get anime from the art style. I got animated, but I didn't get anime. Yeah, I just I did not care for the art style in the preview pages, so I I was out. But tell me, tell me all about it. Well, so from Ben Percy and John Boy Myers, we have Teen Titans, and as you can see, Damian Wayne um, is on the cover of the book, and uh, I, I, that's that's in, not in the book very much. But, uh, you know, it, it's about the rebuilding of the new Teen Titans team. Um, I'm going to shut up because I want to hear what uh, Tim and Wayne thought of this book. So, uh, Tim, why don't you tell us, as a Damian Wayne fan, what did you think of Teen Titans Rebirth? You know, it's 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 always too it's almost always too soon to tell with an issue one unless it it's a it's an A or an F. Right. And so. I I didn't I didn't get any I didn't get either extreme with this book. I actually think the art style sort of works for the for for um, these characters. Um, yeah, this is basically a getting the band together. If the person getting the band together is a dick, <laughs> so I sort of enjoyed it, like like that aspect of it. He, so I, I don't, I'm just gonna spoil it, I guess. No, nah, we don't have to spoil it. We can spoil it because I'm. I mean, I'm. I was. I was going to spoil it anyway. So go for it. Like, basically, Damien captures the rest of the Teen Titans. That yeah. that that's his. Hey, we should we should work together. Is <laughs> tricking them all and and locking them up. Which I got to say, I loved. Like, it's not like you know, Bruce Wayne would show up and he'd be like, "Hey, I want to have a talk with you." But Damien Wayne defeats and captures them all to gather the band. That is- that is kind of the way we put this podcast together. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I love the way they draw Goliath in this thing. He is creepy as hell <laughs> at that last page. Um, it like I said, it's too soon to tell. I'm a little, I, I guess, 
I guess one of the complaints I have is I think Starfire sort of aged out of Teen Titans. She looks very much older than the rest of them. Yeah, and some of the others look younger than I've seen them. Raven in particular. Yeah. Raven looks like they've de-aged her a lot. No, it's a it's an issue one, it's a rebirth, so I, I sorta understand a little bit of that. But you know, we, we saw Starfire well, some of us did. In the Red Hood <laughs> Red Hood uh, book. And it's like I, I don't I don't know, it seemed like a step back as far as like why is this twenty four year old in the Teen Titans? Yeah, why isn't she in Titans with Nightwing? Yeah, because nobody's reading that book. But <laughs> which is I, fair, because I'm certainly not. <laughs> I don't know. For me, it's too soon to tell. I guess that's what I. Uh, the art wasn't a wasn't stumbling block. The the story we haven't gotten the story because it was the getting the band together story. But the fact that Damian Wayne's a little bastard and I'm not getting that anywhere else is going to mean I'm going to buy another issue of this thing. Yeah. So Tim, I think part of the problem with being able to tell from this first issue, you hit it on the head there. There's no story. There isn't a story in this. This is an introduction of this is what these characters are like now in Rebirth. And I like how most of the characters are. So I'm curious, but I need a story to know if I'm going to like the book or not. This is enough for me to pick up the actual number one when it comes out. Because this is probably the best written I've seen uh, Beast Boy ever. So that you know that alone is enough to make me wonder: Is this book going to be good? And as much as I dislike Damian Wayne, this was a very interesting way to showcase who he is too. Because uh-huh. you didn't get all the character, you know, moments with him. He just takes them all out, chains them up, and has his team. Oh, did you? How did you feel, Paul? I liked it. I mean, I did, it's it's another book that. Well, I I liked it less than I liked Batman Beyond. I'll say that. Um, it's it's a it's a solid book. Um, you know, to your point about it's not an A or an F. It's more of like a, a B. Uh-huh. Um, I've never been a. It, it's funny because of these characters, I've always enjoyed. I enjoy Teen Titans, but I pretty much don't like any of the characters that are in this Teen Titans, other than Damian Wayne. Like, I've never been a fan of Beast Boy, or Starfire, or Raven. I don't know much about this Kid Flash. I can't say much about him. Um, you know, I like the Teen Titans, like, um, the, the ones that Jeff Johns wrote. You know, Impulse and, uh, you know, Connor Kent. I love those characters in the Teen Titans. And I know those characters aren't necessarily here in the in the Rebirth universe. Um, but that being said, I still enjoyed this book. I enjoyed the take on the characters. Um I, I enjoyed the de-aging of Raven uh, in this book. I, she's definitely feels de-aged. She looks younger. She feels younger. Um, I enjoyed the take on her there. Um, it, it, it's there's not much to the book, like like we said. It's it's pretty much just a getting the band together. Um, but I really did like the art and that final page with Damien and Goliath was was freaking gorgeous. Um, so I'm on board for the first issue. Uh, I'm 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 gonna pick up the first issue on this one too, and uh, you know. It, it, with DC, it's a little easier because the books are only three bucks, right? To, to, to feel like okay, well, I'll give it another issue. Um, you know, it's not a four ninety nine book like one of the ones we're going to talk about later. So uh, it, I, I'm 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 certainly going to pick up the next issue. Uh-huh. As am I. Well, a rebirth book that we were kind of on the fence on was Blue Beetle Rebirth. I think we we had lukewarm feelings on that, if if, if I remember correctly, Aaron. Yes. 
enough enough to tune back in, but uh, we weren't jazzed. So Keith Giffen and Scott Collins um, are back. You know, same creative team that did the Rebirth issue. Uh, now with Blue Beetle number one, featuring both Jaime Reyes and Ted Cord, uh, with a special appearance by Doctor Fate. And uh, Aaron, what did you think of Blue Beetle number one? Well, let's just say that I need a Doctor Fate comic by Scott Collins right the fuck now. Oh my god, the His, first pages! Holy crap! Those Doctor Fate pages where uh, Jaime is Jaime has a dream and where he's having an out, kind of an out of body experience. He's watching somebody else be Blue Beetle, not himself, and it's a fight between Blue Beetle and Doctor Fate. And those pages are freaking amazing. And there's one, two, three pages of that. And they're the best three pages of the book. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was like, I want to read this book. <laughs> you know, um, I, I love I, Scott Collins is often hit and miss with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you're a huge fan, Paul. I wouldn't say a huge uh, fan, but I do. I do enjoy his art. His Dr. Fate pages here are some of the best comic work I've seen all year. Uh, they are just gorgeous. Agreed. Um, and I, I really am enjoying uh, elsewhere in the book. I love the way he draws the not just Jaime Reyes's Beetle Tech, but Ted Cord's. You know, the flying bug um, looks. There is a solidness to it, uh, a tangible quality to it, where it looks like it's a real thing. Um, I just, I love the way he, he, he renders, uh, that technology. There's this lovely, uh, scene where it's, you know, it's sitting in the, in the warehouse before it takes off. And as it takes off, there is just this, this beautiful, uh, design quality to it in the way that it is emerging out into the world. And I just love that. Um, I'm fascinated by, by Blue Beetle's, uh, you know, uh, fly, what he refers to as his flying bat cave. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I think it's amazing. It's amazing. And I think I need one of those. Yeah. I think I need that modeler toy. Um, I am finding, there's a lot about this book that I like there. The things that I don't like are things that they've carried over from the previous iteration of the Jaime Reyes story. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, some of the, the local bad guys in El Paso, yeah. uh, you know, the, the posse, um, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I just, ah, there, there's a part of me that like, for instance, you know, the, the bad guys that he's fighting, you know, the whole time he's, he's kind of fighting these local El Paso uh, bad guys, um, I, the, I, I keep thinking, you know, who'd be really good bad guys for him to fight? And I know they're not located in the same area, but the the bad guys from the Milestone universe. Yeah. You know, it seems like, you know, one of those gangs could be there in El Paso, you know, uh, like, you know, something that you'd see in Blood Syndicate or something. Uh, oh, I, I was just. Yeah. And I, I'm. Because this this character, the 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 guy that that looks like a negative energy thing from Fantastic Four, uh, I it felt like he was a blood syndicate knockoff to me, just the way he was stylized and what and whatnot. And that's what put me in the mind of, you know, this would be a great place to put some of those milestone characters. So I, I think I share your opinion. Um, I like your point about the milestone characters. I feel like my issue with the book, or the weak—I shouldn't say my issue with the book—the weakest part of the book for me is the title character. Um, yeah, I I, 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 I like Jaime Reyes, but in this book, when you have Ted Cord and you have the Bug and you have the Doctor Fate pages, 
the least interesting part of the book is every time they focus on Jaime Reyes. Yeah, I would agree. Well, you know, number one, he's a reluctant hero, right? He doesn't want this power that he's got. Which is like still, um, you know, I mean, yeah. he's been Blue Beetle for damn near 10 years, right? Since Identity Crisis. Well, and I do feel like they've reset his character in the pages of this book, even from where he was earlier in the New 52. You know, they've taken him back to to where he started in the New 52 versus moving his character forward, as they've done with his supporting cast. Yeah. Um, you know, the relationship between his two friends uh, seems like, you know, number one, it hasn't moved past, certainly hasn't moved past uh, where they were from the from uh, prior to the new 52, but it feels like we've taken them back to square one as they've done with Jaime. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and that's frustrating because I I don't really need to have that story told to me again. And you know, it hasn't been that long. Yeah. And it it feels like the authors, um, you know, Scott Collins and Keith Giffen to me and correct me if I'm wrong. And you know, it, it felt to me like they were more passionate about all the other characters than they yeah, were about Jaime absolutely. Reyes. I mean, you can tell they love Ted Cord. You can tell they love yeah. Dr. Fate. You can tell they're writing a Jaime Reyes book. You know? Um, yeah, yeah. Th- and, that's, and I think that's the difference here. Yeah, and, and that's too bad because those Dr. Fate pages, I'm sure that's promising something wonderful to come. But man, those three pages of Dr. Fate I, I were worth the purchase price. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how good those pages were. I mean, I, I was just, the whole time I was like, Holy crap. I, and I did that thing that that modern comics so rarely do for me is I went back and, and relooked at those pages after I finished the book. You know, a lot of times, you know, comics are consumables. You 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 burn through it and you're done with it. This one really compelled me to go back and relook at those pages because there's so much going on in each one of those panels. Yeah. And it feels it's you know, you've got your Kirby crackle. You've got a bit of Mike yeah. Mignola to it. And it's just gorgeous. It is a gorgeous yeah. couple of pages. Um, yeah. And I would use the word bombastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it is. The, these pages are just exploding with with dynamism is just fantastic pages. So are you on board for Blue Beetle number two is the question. I am. I am. I, you know, it, it, just for the possibility of getting another glimpse of Dr. Fate, uh, yeah. you know, because hopefully that will happen again. You know, to your point, I'm not jazzed about the Jaime Reyes storyline here. I'm hoping that changes. Yeah, you know, I, I too. I mean, there, there, I like there's to enough see, in this book to, to draw me back in. Yeah, I would like to see Ted Cord get out of the bug. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's functioning very much as mentor guy, kind of like Bruce Wayne to Terry McGinnis. Uh I would prefer that he is more of a partner. Yeah. You know, that he is he is doing some other stuff out there because I'm a little bored with him just being the, the narrator. Agreed. Yeah. But no, I, I'm in for the next issue. How about yourself, Paul? Did you say yes? Yes, I'm on board. I'm on board for the next issue. And uh if the next if here's the thing, if it maintains this level of quality, I will be on board for the first arc, and that will probably yeah. be it unless it gets better. Um, unless yeah. it draws my interest in more. But I'm at least on board for the first arc. Yeah, I, I agree. I need to see a turn in Jaime within this arc. Agreed. Yeah. So the Night of the Monster Men continues in the pages of Batman Detective Comics. Uh, part three uh, came out this week, issue 941 of Detective Comics. But none of you picked up part two in Nightwing last week, right? Correct. No. So I'm curious as to how part three read to you, because to me, it felt like part two was essential reading. <laughs> um, Aaron, I, would you like to start this mess? Um, I can say that it, I don't think that it hurt me reading from, you know, part one to part three, absent part two, uh, because they're still fighting monsters. 
Um, it didn't it didn't seem like I was missing anything. Uh, but I will say I thought this book was a steaming mess. Uh, I, I really hated this book. It was hard to finish this book. This book Tim. was terrible. This yeah. Is, I last issue that they on screen killed Tim Drake. This issue, we are mid action on a story I don't care about with terrible art and bad direction. Great. <laughs> you know, I, w- I really loved the first run of Detective Comics, and then it got sucked into crossover mania. Like, couldn't they have, like, timed it so it's like, you know, we need one issue of breathing in the new uh, status quo without yeah, it's, without it, our smart it's, guy, you know? it's It seems like with uh, Tim having died in the pages of Detective Comics, we'd have had a page, we would have had a book to mourn Tim. Yeah, when nobody yeah. gives a crap. Yeah, and I mean, they say it like Tim's dead. All right, next thing. Yeah, you know, and oh. the, the only the only weight that you get there is Batman's like nobody dies. You know, he's he's doing the Dan Slott storyline from Spider Man, mm-hmm. but uh, I the other guys don't seem to be grieving. You know, we had a couple of, of panels of Stephanie uh, grieving in the issue in which it happened, but I really do feel like with a character like Tim Drake, when everybody else is supposed to to believe that he's gone. We should there should be, you know, you should have funeral for a friend because Tim Drake's that that big of a badass. Yeah. And I don't know in the new 52 how many storylines have happened. So his parents are still alive. So I'm assuming Bruce never adopted him in the new 52. But he still is like a father figure. And Stephanie, I don't know if their relationship ever happened or not, but I want it to have. Yeah, I want that relationship to have happened because. I'm a big Stephanie fan. You know, I um, Detective Comics number 941 was certainly the weakest part so far of the Night of the Monster Men for me. In general, mm-hmm. I'm enjoying the storyline, but this was definitely a weak issue. Um, so I, I think I share your opinions on this issue, but overall I'm enjoying the storyline. Uh, I just, this was definitely a sidestep for me from, from the quality I, of the first two parts. I just... I, f- I found, as I find in so many crossovers, it felt like the action was being stretched in this book. Um, there were, you know, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about the Rebirth books is that the action has been so compressed um, and things are happening fast. And I mean, I was just so bored by the time I got to the middle of this book. I was, I, I was, it was all I could do to continue reading these panels because I was like, come on already. You know, and but they've they've over they've overbroken the beats on this story. And I think they they truly could have compressed a couple of things into the story that they stretched into just a thing in this story. Well, and the the good thing about at least the biweekly the biweekly schedules is that because everything's biweekly now, this entire crossover will be done by like in, in two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they're going to bang out a, a, a six part crossover in a month because of the biweekly schedules. So I, 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 I'm grateful for that at least, but, um, so, you know, they're not going to stretch it out over six, seven months, like, like previous, but I'm sorry you guys didn't like this issue. And Paul, you're, you're reading the Batman book as well, right? Yes. So did you read the Gotham and Gotham girl storyline? Yes. So I thought we were going to retire Gotham girl because when she uses her powers, she's killing herself. Yes. But yet here's Gotham Girl being put into the action by Batman. No. Um, so that happened in the pages of Nightwing. 
Uh, she okay. was uh, in the Batcave, uh, specifically told not to, but she couldn't resist uh, helping. So she, she took it upon her own to get out there, but she was not called upon by Batman to, to assist. Okay. Okay. That's not clear in this issue. Yeah. They even said, you know, if you use your powers, you're killing yourself. And she said, well, I, right. it, you know, I can't put myself over the needs of the other people of, of people. So okay. that's why she's out. Okay. I'm going to let that go then. That was not the biggest problem. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, it was just in, if, if, you know, having not read that second issue, uh, you know, of, of this, this story that happened at Nightwing, the last thing I saw of Gotham Girl is, you know, we've got to put you on the bench because if you use your powers, you're killing yourself. Yeah. And then you see her out there, you know, balls to the wall doing her thing. And you're like, OK. And I didn't like the way they drew her in this issue. She was much she's much better drawn in the pages of Batman. Agreed. She 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 does not. She looks more like Eleven from uh, Stranger Things than she looks like the woman that we saw in the pages of Batman. And who knows that it's not inspired by that to a certain extent. That could you be, know? you know, yeah. using the powers that hurt you, that kind of thing. Uh huh. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so from Detective from Detective Comics to Action Comics, we have issue nine sixty four, the second part of Superman Meet Clark Kent. Um, we didn't talk about the first part. We were uh, we we did not podcast that week two weeks ago. But this is the second part of the storyline, written by Dan Jurgens, art by Patrick Zercher, where Superman tries to get to the mystery of who is Clark Kent, um, because there's some guy out there, some regular dude, reporting for the Daily Planet, who's Clark Kent, who says that uh, when Superman revealed his idea ID as uh, uh, Clark Kent. Uh, previously in the new 52 it was it was that superman the new 52 superman protecting him because he was on to a story that was going to get him killed and because they coincidentally look a little bit alike he would claim to be clark kent while the while the quote real clark kent went into hiding and so the current superman the the pre-new 52 superman is trying to get to the bottom of this so he takes him to his his off-brand <laughs> Fortress of Solitude mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, uses some of his uh, some of his alien artifacts to get to the bottom of this. And I got to say, uh, going into this, I was not particularly interested in the storyline, but I really rather liked this issue. I thought I, I this pulled me back in. Yeah, I wanted to know what his deal was. I want that mystery to be done, but I never really cared about the Clark Kent. I just right. wanted the mystery answered. But this issue made me care about this Clark Kent. Yeah. I like seeing his past, him growing up with the Kents, him, you know, being a reporter, all of that, and having a life that the real Superman never really didn't have a life quite like that. Right. I have, I no, still I've... think, I don't know if this is going to be an alternate reality or a brainwashed clone or what, but I'm suddenly interested. Paul? I, you know, I, I read the first issue and uh, I read them both because uh, I, I did not read it when it came out. I didn't care for the first issue of this storyline. This one uh, I, I cared a lot more for. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm now interested in, especially now that more has been revealed, it's almost like more has been revealed and less has been revealed, right? Yeah. Because this Clark Kent truly has memories of all these things happening. Um, and it's like, yeah, how I, does that happen? 
I love it. It's like they're taking all of our theories about who or what he is, and they're going through and systematically saying, nope, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And uh, kind of answering to all of them. My only qualm is that, you know, anyone who would know better in the New 52 is dead, right? Except for, you know, Lois Lane died and there were other characters who were there who who, who know Superman was Clark Kent, except for Jimmy Olsen, right? Right. Jimmy Olsen was there the entire time. He was his best friend. And it doesn't seem like that's being addressed. Jimmy Olsen just seems to have just bought into it. Yeah, right. it seems like Jimmy has has really just oh okay I guess I guess Superman was really that convincing. Yeah, but it was really yeah. a big part of that, you know. Like, yeah. I, it would be interesting, you know. How does Jimmy feel? Does he feel betrayed that Superman pretended to be his friend, or yeah. you know, like, or, or is he just as confused? But in this book, you don't really get any of that. And for me, that's a that's a big component that's missing from this storyline. The the, the biggest, um, and hopefully it'll be addressed before the storyline's done. But I'm I'm curious now. I'm even more curious than I was before as to who this Clark Kent is. So hopefully we'll get it in this storyline. Yeah, I love that Superman gave Clark the uh, the watch, the signal yeah, watch. The, the signal watch. Thought that was a nice touch as well. Tim, what do yeah, you think I, of uh, this issue? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Aaron. No, no, no. I, I I had forgotten that Tim read this as well. You know, for for the buildup, I I sort of I sort of felt like we didn't learn much. I felt like we didn't learn anything, you know, other than other than more confusion. Right. Right. So the orb of revelation didn't reveal as much as we we'd hoped, I guess. I don't know. Well, it revealed Um, that they're real memories. Sure. Maybe. Hey, (laughs) Kellex said it and Kellex can't lie. And he has high cholesterol. Great. I'm sure all he is is just Clark Kent. We're never going to hear anything else about it. Except we are. He had his he and, had his appendix removed. He has high cholesterol. I don't I don't buy it. And I it's just it's going to be the other shoe. And it's I don't know. I I guess to me it's a little too obvious not to drop the other shoe at some point. So I kind of feel like we should have learned a little more for what the buildup was. I guess that's just me. Well, I mean it's not over, right? I mean I think we I don't know how long this uh, particular storyline is, but I'm sure we have at least two more issues. Um, you know, before we find out what's going on, I'm, I'm sure we'll, I'm, I'm hopeful if we don't find out what's going on in the storyline, I'm, then I'm going to be pissed. And I think it's going to be tied to doomsday as well. It's all going to be that one company. It's going to be tied to doomsday. And I have a feeling it's going to be alternate realities. Like this is a Clark from a different reality. How much is possible? You know, uh, maybe, I, I, maybe I, it is someone screwing with the watchman. Well, and I, I think you're right, uh, Wayne. I think it is a Clark from a different reality because we, we, we are given to believe that the doomsday that Superman fought in the streets early on in this storyline is the doomsday uh, from the original uh, reality, you know, pre-New 52. So it seems like, so, you know, somebody is pulling people out of different universes and putting them here in the New 52. So that, that's, that's my thought. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out. I, 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 like I said, I hope we find out sooner rather than later, because it's a mystery that that's intriguing, but could very easily get frustrating if they make it go too long. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of mysteries. <laughs> yes, sir. So Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes number one came out this week. 
a crossover between Dark Horse Comics and Boom Studios written by Tim Seeley and David Walker. Art by Fernando Dagnino. And, uh, you know, it sets up the mystery early on as to what the hell is going on. Yeah, there's a whole lot of that in this book. What the hell is going on? Yeah, the years don't really mesh either. Well, and that's kind of the whole point, right? Uh, when you get to the end of the book, it 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 it, it ties those things together. But you know, uh, Planet of the Apes is a storyline that takes place in our future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the original movie takes place in a post-apocalyptic Earth long after man has uh, you know bombed themselves back to the Stone Age. Uh, to a culture that has lost the ability to speak, apes have become the the dominant species with culture and civilization. Uh, Tarzan, as as originally written, is set you know in the Victorian era in Africa. So how can these two storylines come together? And how do we do that? Well, by connecting the timelines and some alternate reality. And, uh, you know, it takes a little while, at least for me. And maybe that's because I was a couple of scotches in when I was reading it. (laughs) But it took a little bit to figure out where I was in the story. Uh, Because it did not feel like they were um, serving it up to me on a plate in terms of what's going on. You really have to kind of unravel that knot in order to understand what's happening in the story. Correct. And I agree. You know, they so time travel. Is is how things, yep. uh, you know, get combined here, and and so the universe of, that we know it in Tarzan has changed. Um, is this correct me if I'm wrong? But is this essentially taking an alternate route from when? Um, yes. Cornelius and uh, yeah, in, Zira, in the, Zira. Right in the in the experience that we're familiar with, Cornelius and Zira are both shot to death. Right uh, at the end of. Battle? Battle. No, escape. 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 Okay. Um, and Milo, their their child, is switched with an ape in the circus. So the what, who everyone believes is Milo uh, is shot and, and, and drowns uh, as a baby, whereas the real Milo, known as Caesar, is raised in the circus. So in this story, in what part of this story – uh, Cornelius and Zira, instead of crash landing in modern day America, they crash land in Tarzan's jungle and wind up raising Milo, their son, and Tarzan, who has been, you know, who's the lone survivor of uh, the expedition to Africa. Uh, both of, of them are raised as brothers. So that's that's part of our alt- alternate universe, alternate timeline thing that's going on. And I. I just have to say, I love that as their setup for it. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, if they were going to do a crossover like this, that is the perfect way to set it up. You already have time travel in the story. You just change where they land, and suddenly you can start meshing these worlds. Yeah. But then we also throw some dinosaur action into it, because, and as we find out, they, some sort of, of time portal is opened up. Uh, which freaks Zira out when she hears about it because she's like, oh, my God, what if you know we're the cause of that? What if when we were escaping our world and coming to this world, what if we linked those things together and the destruction of our, of our timeline, our world, is now destroying this world? And I, I'm sorry. 
I dug the hell out of this book. Yeah. Same here. And I, I am I was so excited about that because a couple of things. One, it is a follow up to uh, to the original Planet of the Apes so- stories and movies. And I think the likenesses that the artist draws of Zira are particularly well done. Zira looks like Zira. Uh, yes. You know, she, she 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 very much looks like the character in this book, less so on Cornelius. I didn't think that he did a very good job of drawing the likeness on Cornelius, but still the artwork is amazing in this book. And I have wanted a decent Tarzan book forever. Um, and the the Tarzan books that came out around the time of the new movie just weren't very entertaining. Uh, but this is just fantastic. And the, the, the manner in which they're, they're, they're telling you the story and giving you the backstory is, is just very cinematic in the way it's being told. Uh, you've got some interesting uh, folks who are kind of lined up to be the adversaries. I, I dug it. I, I think this book is great. If you like Tarzan or if you like Planet of the Apes, and especially if you like both, you should be picking up this book. Yeah, what I think there's still some mystery, too. Yeah. It's like... The 2016 stuff doesn't make a lot of sense time-wise yet, but I think they're getting there. I do like having both young and older Tarzan, too. So you saw him growing up, but then you see him as an adult. Yep. Really enjoying the book. So another book that we gave a shot on this week was from um, IDW. And I had read a review of it uh, on Newsarama that gave it a 10 out of 10. So I was like, and and we had heard about it when we were in Star Trek Mission New York, Uh, you know, during the uh, IDW Star Trek comics panel, uh, Star Trek Waypoint number one. um, You know, one of the things that IDW said is they just don't have enough creative staff or whatever money or whatever to do a book about every iteration of Star Trek, even though they love to. And so they're primarily focused on the JJ verse and their monthly titles. And so Star Trek Waypoint is kind of an answer to that, which is an anthology title um, that allows different creative teams to take on whatever era of Star Trek that they care to do. And so this first issue features two stories, one uh, called Puzzles, that is a Star Trek Next Generation story, and another one called Daylily, which is an original series uh, story. Um, $5 book, just putting that out there. Uh, because it's a you know it's a, it's a bit larger in size, Aaron. What but not that much larger. It was only thirty one pages. Yeah, which so I, I think it really should have been four dollars. Um, it because it, it wasn't forty eight pages or even forty. It was when I saw thirty one pages, I'm like five dollars really. Um, and it's not like you know with comicsology that things can get a little skewed because of um, double page spreads count as one. But there's only one double page spread in this book, so we're still yeah. only talking thirty two pages. Yeah. Um, for five bucks. So a bit overpriced in my opinion, but uh, of the two stories, I, I, I want your opinion before I give mine. So Aaron, what did you think of this book? <laughs> um, so I didn't balk at the price because any opportunity to get a next generation story that's not a crossover with another brand, uh, you know, cause there, there, there've been several, or it seems like there've been several uh, next generation crossovers uh, you know, Legion of Superheroes, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, Doctor Who, yeah. uh, but you know, not a lot of just focus on that era of Star Trek. So it was nice to get that. But that said, um, how, how, how deep are you having to scrape the barrel 
if Jordy LaForge is going to be your captain of the Enterprise. <laughs> I mean, what was what were was everyone at Starfleet Academy murdered? Because wow, as much as I like Jordy, he is not command material. Um, so that was one thing that I found a little startling. Um, in this story, you know, Data's intellect has been baked into the Enterprise computer, and so the Enterprise computer is now intelligent. And let me tell you how I always hate that storyline. I hate when the ship's computer uh, is intelligent and has its own personality. I hate when the car is intelligent and has its personality. I hate when the, the motorcycle or any mode of transportation is intelligent and has its own personality. Um, I, I just That always just irritates the tar out of me. It is a common science fiction trope, and I hate it. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. More so I hate that, you know, uh, holograms of data are staffing every station on the bridge, despite the fact that Jordy says, well, we've still got a full complement of crew, but you know, they're elsewhere on the ship. You never see them. It's just the Jordy and data show on the bridge. And what happens is, is a ship far, uh, far into the future has crash landed or crashed into our timeline. And so they encounter it in space and, you know, Jordy and data are trying to rescue this ship but the prime directive of the other ship is that they can't contaminate a timeline. So the, the commander of that ship, which is an AI, uh, is willing to let the ship be destroyed to protect the timeline. And so it's Jordy and Data fighting that. And I just – as much as I really wanted to enjoy this book, I just didn't care for the storyline. I, I, I truly did not care for the storyline. You know what's funny? I liked this story. Um, I, I did enjoy this story. I, I thought it was well written. I thought it was interesting. Um, I thought the art worked well. I actually, I, I liked it. I liked the first story. Um, but I will I, say the I, second I liked, story, I didn't. See, and, and I like the artwork as well in the Next Generation storyline. I thought it was very well done. I just got frustrated with, here's Jordy commanding the Enterprise. We only see Data and Jordy on the bridge. Um, Again, why the hell is Jordy commanding the Enterprise? And that sounds like a personal bias, uh, Aaron. Just saying. I am sorry. You cannot tell me you have watched seven seasons of Star Trek: The Next Generation and say, you know, who would make a good captain? Jordy LaFucking Forge. I'm sorry. Every he character is, not... is somebody's favorite. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he's got no command skills. Doesn't matter if he's your favorite character or not. He has no command skills. Well, and to be fair, he, can, he didn't in this book either. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and so that's what I'm saying. I mean, is every was was there a, a you know some horrible war and everyone else is dead <laughs> because it's the Enterprise? Anyway, I'm just by I, I I like Jordy. I he is not a captain, and I would be very upset if I graduated from Starfleet Academy and got assigned to the Enterprise with Captain LaForge as my captain because. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know. It seems um, like a bit of a cakewalk of a job if you uh, if the ship's run by data anyway. Yeah. Until, you know, until, uh, you know, data turns on you because he's got some kind of programming glitch. I mean, let's be let's be be fair. Data should have been drummed out of Starfleet a long time ago because he's too, too unreliable of technology, just like hologram technology should have been removed from all Starfleet vessels. Sorry, I've got some issues here. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. The holodeck is going to become sentient and take over. Yeah. Again. Um, so 
you disliked the second story, which was an original series Uhura story. And it's a very short, sort of brief sort of thing. It's only uh, nine, ten pages long. Uh, I liked it. I, you know, I, it, it wasn't a major story. It was just sort of a, you know, a, a vignette. Uh, of Uhura communicating with a new life form. And that's and, all it was. You know, that's why I didn't like it. it. It wasn't even a story. It was like a scene. <laughs> yeah. And then it ended. But, I'm know, like, that's it? If the if the format of this, of this uh, title is, you know, two stories, you're going to have one that gets a little bit more play, and you're going to have one that's a vignette. And as far as, the, as that was, I kind of liked it. And I liked the design of the alien. Yeah, I mean, the art I, was I was fine with. I was fine with the art, and I was like, oh, and Ohura. And I, I do want to say, the fact that we had uh, two African-Americans as the main characters in both these oh, stories. You know, that didn't even dawn on me, but you're absolutely right. You know, I I, I appreciated that. Um, you know, they did something well, a little different. And, you know, I, I know that this is a big deal in, uh, uh, particularly in Star Trek and other uh, uh, licensed properties, but the the likenesses for both of these characters, for both Jordy uh, and Uhura, as well as for Data, are done very well. Yeah. Uh, they are they are identifiable. In fact, I got to tell you, um, the Nichelle Nichols likeness in the second story is spot on. I mean, it was like she posed for it. It, yeah. it, it is very well done. It is very well done. So, and I like it. You know, I, of course, I always like when Uhura gets to do something other than just say hailing frequencies open. Yeah. You know, I, I like, you know, I love that animated series episode where she commands the ship. <laughs> uh, I, I, those are those are stories that I've always liked where she's a little bit more up front, like in the Mirror Universe story. Um, but th- this was a nice story seeing her, you know, do awesome stuff as, you know, the communications specialist. Yeah. So I, I liked it. I, you know, here's the thing. Uh, I liked both of these stories enough to pick up the next issue. Uh, yeah. This is going to be an anthology series that, uh, as far as I know, there are no plans to do anything serialized in it. Uh, but, I, but I hope they do. I would love to see. I would like to see bigger stories than just a, uh, you know, a, a, a 32 page book divided up into two stories. I'd like to see something a little bit deeper. I agree. And maybe this is a bit of um, a litmus test, right, to see what creative teams yeah. hit with fans and then, you know, hire them on for uh, for longer ongoing series. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, the Tiptons are the guys who are currently doing the the larger stories uh, for the non JJ uh, storylines at at IDW. So it would be nice to see, you know, a a deeper bench uh, writing those kinds of stories. Agreed. So let's talk about what comes out next week. What's coming out next week, Paul? So Superman number eight comes out next week. The first part of Return to Dinosaur Island. Um, written by Pete Tomasi and Patrick Leeson, art by Doug Mankey, and is supposedly their love letter to Darwin Cook. Um, so there is nothing wrong in any of that description. I am super excited <laughs> about that issue. Um, it features Superman, Superboy, and Crypto going to Dinosaur Island. There's, you sold me. Yeah, I am so on board with that book. So ridiculously on board with that book. Um Another book from DC Comics, or from their Young Animals imprint, Shade the Changing Girl. Aaron, what do you think? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip. Well, I can't flip. I'm through. gonna, I'm gonna take a look at the preview pages. Um, I like the idea of Shade the Changing Girl, but uh, uh, the Doomsday book really soured me uh, last time around. So, uh, not Doomsday, Doom Squad book. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I'm going to give it. I, I'll take a flip if the if the uh, preview pages look good. I'll pick that one up. Well, uh, Doom Patrol. But isn't that what I said? I said Doom Squad, didn't I? Close uh, yeah. No one gives Doom a shit. Patrol. I mean, it's yeah. it's a shitty book anyway. <laughs> Um, it's a book that's doomed. Yeah. Uh, ah. Nightwing number six continues the Night of the Monster Men storyline. Speaking also, of doomed books. Yeah. Uh, Midnighter and Apollo number one comes out next week. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've, I'm not really a fan of either of those characters, but if you are, Midnighter number one comes out next week from DC Comics. Um, a book that I'm very excited about, He-Man Meets the Thundercats, number one, comes out from DC Comics next week. Oh, Paul. So very excited. You know, when I saw that was coming out, my first thought was, who in the world is going to buy this? Paul. And now I know my answer. Paul's going to buy it. That's going to be the first book I read. (laughs) (laughs) Future, Future Quest number five comes out. Aaron, are you still reading Future Quest? I am. Okay, I'm behind. So uh, I'll get caught up for next week. I think I'm actually current on Future Quest. I'll get caught up for next week. Um, a, a couple of books that I'm interested in, and but I but let's see if any of you guys are. Death of Hawkman number one comes out featuring Adam Strange and Hawkman. I, sh- I should say Death of Hawkman number one featuring Adam Strange and Hawkman teaming up. It's a six issue miniseries written by Mark Andreco, art by Aaron Lepresti. I love me some Adam you know, Strange. Those are, I, I don't those care are, about any Hawkman ever, but Adam Strange is interesting. Well, you know, those are two characters that I always want to like, but they always seem to be misused. So I might be willing to give that a shot. Yeah, I'll take a look at it. Also, Dead Man, Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love, number one, comes out next week. <laughs> now, it's like a very Deadpool-esque title for a book. <laughs> I'm curious about it, but it's also five ninety nine. Not that uh, curious. Yeah, if it were two ninety nine, I'd give it a shot. Yeah, so I don't, I, I don't know if it's a graphic novel or a one shot or a miniseries, but I'll flip through the PGB pages. But five ninety nine is a uh, is not conducive to it's it's double the cost of any other book on the list. So yeah, Ouch. but that's what's coming out from DC Comics next week. Well, sounds like a week. <laughs> <laughs> I think we used all our energy in the, in the open. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. We're done the open now. was really good. Are we limping across the finish line? You know what we need to, to, to jazz this up? We need Jeffrey. We need Jeffrey now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Free Jeffrey. <laughs> <sighs> All right, guys. He's not the hero we need. He's the hero we deserve. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.